Welcome to the Side Talks podcast, a podcast about movies. That's right. What's up, Ding Dong? We did it all for the nookie. We for the nookie. did? So you can take that cookie and ram it up your ass, ram it up your ass. I think I've done that before, but I don't care. It's time. And I may have already said this at some point, uh-huh. but I also think we're due for this little reminder, which is remember when that dickweed that is the front man for Lent Biscuit, Fred Durst, Fred Durst. who, yes. by the way, he made a film in Birmingham. Everybody says he's a nice guy, whatever. But do you remember when he was petitioning Angelina Jolie to go out with him? No. Yeah. He was making like a really like sad, pathetic plea, like, please come on a date with me, Angelina. This is pre-bat, pre-Brad. So she had to choose between Fred Durst and Brad Pitt. <laughs> oh, I don't. I don't think it was. I don't think it was neck and neck. I don't think it was <laughs> of the same era. I just think it was. There was some runway there. Right, right, right. I think she was free, footloose, and fancy free, and still was like, "I'm good." But in fairness to Fred, this is post Billy Bob, so like, <laughs> so, okay, you know what? You made a really good point right there. Her standards being what they were at the time, he had reason—not a ton of reason, but some reason—to expect that he could have had a shot. I think that's absolutely fair. I think if I was one of those dick swinging dudes like that, that's like, I would probably be like, you know what? Angelina Jolie went out with that chump, 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 <laughs> Billy Bob Thornton and his teeth, and I bet she, I might could get a date with her. I think that's a fair observation. She's got a type. I have teeth. <laughs> oh, man. Do you remember that, Brad? Now that you mention it, yeah. Yeah. It's pretty sad. Never forget. Uh, Limp Biscuit, terrible band. Bad music. <laughs> Don't like it. There's another connection to movies. Uh-huh. Thora Bitch is in one of the music videos. Oh. He's got her kind of tied to a chair and he's screaming at her, which is how Aww. I picture dating Fred Durst to be. <laughs> anyway, this is the Limp Biscuit podcast. Let's uh let's get going. I'm Rachel Morgan. <laughs> That's Corey Kraft. He's the number one Limp Biscuit fan. And the Well, universe. that was disturbed, but it's Yeah, fine. sorry, my bad. <laughs> it all blends together that just shitty like early 2000s <laughs> Whatever the fuck you would call that music. <laughs> we New metal, bro. New, sure. Oh, so you forgive me, everyone. Uh, this is, yeah, the new new metal podcast. Why don't you change your, instead of saying, what's up, ding-dongs, to Corey Kraft, we do it all for the nookie. Oh, God. <laughs> it's almost as good. Oh, God. Oh, let's talk about movies. Get ready for a five-minute fight. Five-minute round one fight. Five-minute fizzite. It's time. It's time. It again. is time. We're going to fight for a full five minutes today about a movie that both of us have seen. That's right. Um, I see what you're trying to do. Innovation. There. I see what you're trying to do there. I world out there, listening world. I don't need to see Avatar to know I don't like it. On I don't. The I don't. I don't. I saw the first one. I didn't like it. I saw the trailer for the second one in about six or seven clips, and I can't can't sit still for this thing. It's miserable. So I don't need to see it, and I stand by that decision. Mm. Does anything happen in the narrative, Corey, that is going to surprise me? I mean, they... The answer is no. I could tell the answer was no right there. We're not fighting about Avatar No, we're not. No, we've already fought about the first Avatar, the second Avatar. If there's a third Avatar, we'll fight about it, and I won't watch it either. Oh, my God. So let's go ahead and roll up your little sleeves, and let's (laughs) fight about another film that you guys are going to skewer me over, and I just do not care in case anybody hasn't listened to this podcast before. My official role is the person who does not care. 
Well, the movie that Rachel does not care about today is from 2012, so it's celebrating its 10th anniversary this year. Hold your seats, because it's, hold on to your steering wheel or whatever you're doing right now, because you're going to get mad. It's Ben Zeitlin's uh, Beasts of the Southern Wild, which was 10 years ago, uh, a bit of an indie sensation. And if we haven't started that timer, Brad, let's go ahead and do that. Please. Because I'm going to put, um, I'm going to pass the ball to Rachel here sure. to explain her perspective on Beasts of the Southern Wild. Let me tell you, I'm coming out of the corner right now with my gloves on, okay. and I'm doing that knowing that I'm making everybody angry, that this is a beloved little film that... Well, it certainly was. I don't yeah. know if it's held on to that, but it certainly was. Yeah, it's and everybody is going to be upset. I mean, this is on some people's top 10 list, and I, I, I asked Corey, you know, if it, Corey, if you liked the film or not, and he, you hadn't seen it in a long time, but your memory of it was that it, you liked it a lot. Yes. I have not seen it. I plan to revisit it, and then I just didn't get around to it, and I don't care. But I have seen it several times. It's uh-huh. just been a while. And I know that I've never really enjoyed this film. I did – this gentleman is an alum from, of Sidewalk, so I feel a little bit bad saying this. But I, he's had enough success with this film that I seriously doubt he's going to be upset with me. And I loved the short that preceded this film this film is based on. I thought it was wonderful as a short film, really interesting, really strange, a little bit experimental. I just do not like this film. And I think part of the reason I don't like this film is because I don't like to have grown men yelling at me for 90 minutes straight. And that's what it feels like. It feels like the dad in this thing is just consistently yelling and screaming and stomping around. And it just really... It it unnerves me. I don't. I'm not comfortable with it. It's annoying to me, and I could go for the. Also, here's a white guy making film a film about people who are non-white, and that I think that's an easy. I think that's actually the easier approach than than what I'm getting at. But I just don't like being yelled at by a man. Well, I think that your memory of the film kind of skews the amount that the father character is in it. That character played by Dwight Henry. Um, yeah, and maybe. a really lovely performance is is a supporting role. I mean, part of the film is is the little girl Hush Puppy, uh, played by Quavangene Wallace, kind of going on a quest to reunite with her father, right? Or to, um, you know, the various sort of bayou locations. Sure. And, um, you know, it's a film that's populated by non-professional actors. Henry, a non-professional actor. Wallace, at that time, a non-professional actor. A little girl. Um and and my memory of it is just the shock of of the new. I mean, th- there's so much about Beasts of the Southern Wild that in the the decade following it has been co opted by like ad campaigns and using that original score to sort of Great highlight. Great score, I'll uh, give you that. Yeah, Great I mean, the score, score is wonderful, but but overuse of that score in other media sure. to sort of highlight the sense of just like bespoke whimsy. But at the time, that bespoke whimsy, that sort of do it yourself sort of fairy tale filmmaking, really spoke to me Uh um i i love the way this thing looks again even though it looks like you know like a levi's commercial now that's not the movie's fault that's the fault so it's dated levi's people who wanted who you know wanted to mimic beasts of the southern wild but for what it was at the time i mean an an indie sensation uh that came out of nowhere to get a best picture nomination at the academy awards it's a little like everything everywhere all at once in some ways in in some ways it's kind of coming out of left field it it felt like at one moment it felt like a little film yeah i mean truly a movie that 
built its reputation on word of mouth, on sure. audiences seeing it, discovering it, pre, enjoying this is pre it, recommending A24, it. Pre yes. pre this sort of indie distributor that everybody's already watching what they're going to release. Yeah, yeah, pretty much. Um, so swept look, Sundance, right? It did. It was a big hit out of Sundance. Fox Searchlight picked it up, and and you know that's not nothing because they you know they tend to work yeah, their all magic. All this is true, but, but I think it's dated and it annoys me. I don't think you can hold it against it that it's dated just because its film language has been used in advertising, eh. though. I, I really don't. I mean, that's not a strike against I the film. I think it's dated and it doesn't stand the test of time. But eh. I, did, I didn't like it to begin with. So that's. I think that's the thing is I didn't like it to begin with, and it's only become more and more tiresome over the years. And, and I just I, – I, I hear what you're saying about the sure. white guy directing thing, but like, it's a movie of great empathy and curiosity. Is it's it not, though, it's or, not is it, or is it a like, it's is not, it a jaw dropping look at the other? No, I don't think so. I've ne- I've never read that that way. I, d- I don't think that you. At the very least, I think that's an incredibly ungenerous reading of that movie. I don't think it otherizes the characters. It is, you know, it's told with. Uh, it's a fairy tale that's told with a great deal of intimacy, um, and Hush Puppy, you know, the the main I mean, character her tells her own story. Like- it, I mean, look, it, it it's whimsical, and if you you know have a knee jerk response against that whimsy, then. I'm, you a know, that's just of, a different... I'm a big fan of whimsy. Yeah, yeah, clearly. I like, Everybody I like, I like, knows that about you. I like whimsical, but I don't... Mm. There's a difference between whimsical and annoying. I don't think that you think there's a difference between whimsical <laughs> and annoying. Oh, well, I'm glad you're telling me what I think. I, I Just historically speaking. Uh, I felt like this film was trying to tell me what I think. And you're probably... Look, you're probably right about one thing. He probably didn't rail around and yell and scream as much as I remember, but five minutes of a man screaming at me feels like a million years. Hmm. Screaming at the world, not you personally. Well, I was in the audience. I was watching, and I felt like he was screaming at me. That's not a plus for the film. Here comes Sam. Oh boy. Oof. Oh boy. Um, okay. Uh, let's see. Beast of the Southern Wild. Let's see. Um, so, <laughs> to Corey's point, it was very beloved when it came out, and that's I think very sadly common with a ton of big indie movies. When they come out, they kind of lose steam in the next five years or so. Um, and I also thought of Everything Everywhere um, in regards to that and what that movie's reputation will be in ten years or say. Um, so I haven't seen Beast, uh, but everything wow. I know about it and have seen of it. It's all very twee and sentimental, kind of in the vein of where the wild things are mm. or yes. Okja. Yeah. Um, nothing wrong with that. Maybe Spirited Away, that very whimsical, as Corey said, like three or four times. Um, we need a whimsical jar. <laughs> um, <laughs> whimsical Sundance style. Um, I mean, when it came out, it was wildly imaginative and creative. And even though it was kind of co-opted, like y'all said, into that sort of modern sameness that we have going on. Um, But, I mean, it's hard to fight against a movie like that that did that when it came out. Even So, yeah, props to Rachel for fighting against it, but Corey's correct here. Uh, Hashtag should have stayed a short. (laughs) I never saw the short. Short's great. Yeah. I think you would like this film less if you saw the short. The short does everything it needs to do. Hmm. It really does. That score, though. Did Okja do it better? Okja's a little different. Mm. Okja, Okja... Is playing in a different sandbox. Gotcha. Great movie, but not one I would compare immediately to Beasts of the Southern Wild. I just saw the big pig and was like, oh yeah. 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 The, I, the I score didn't win, the though. score 
by itself is enough of a reason for this movie to No, that's that's bullshit. No, you no, no, can't, no. The no. score is amazing. There's so many films then that we that would be decent films. Come on. Uh, you can't there are say, a lot of films that are decent at best only because of their no, musical you scores. You can't say that a film is okay because of its score. You hear that you all can't. musicians and and uh, composers out there, your work a score is does fucking not, a, meaningless when it comes to evaluating I a film. I didn't say that. I didn't oh, say didn't it, I didn't say it's meaningless. I'm simply saying you if you make a shit film and it has a great score, it doesn't make the film okay it makes the film better yes but it doesn't make it okay it could if the score is no. good enough no it can't yes it can because music fight. is you know a major important part of this filmmaking this is outrageous no it's not are you kidding me like that's that's half of the experience so if the room had a great score all of a sudden the room the would be room a good had, film you've lost if, your fucking mind if the room had a fucking philip glass composition oh, where bullshit. philip glass is going all the fuck out then all, all of a then sudden it's is, a good film that is half the experience i'm not saying mind. it would be good because the room is the room but i'm saying it would be considerably better nobody is arguing with you that it wouldn't make a film better i'm simply saying that you can't say just based on the score alone this film is good if you no. have a media film with a great score that could be that could turn oh, that, that film into a good, good film no. it could no. it could if it's a singular element no. of a film is exceptional enough it can turn something that's kind of on the also, fence into good territory true or false you already won the fucking argument so why are you just pounding you're this the one thing who came at me about the score because it's bullshit no it's not it's completely correct <laughs> that's like two fights for the you price heard it here one. first folks rachel hates music weird weird stance to take but okay I'm not even going to respond to that. And now, a look at what we're watching this week. Well, Corey, oof. listen, I'm going to go ahead and go first on what I've been watching. Yeah, what have you been watching? Because I'm going to be fairly brief. Okay. Uh, I have been watching After Sun. Yes. I saw this film. You know, I didn't love as much as I thought I would. Oh, God. No, 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 no. Hold on. Hold All on. Right. I like the film a lot. Yeah, because it rules. It reminds me a bit of uh, this this. Not really another film necessarily, but this feeling I have about why movies are wonderful and great, and mm-hmm. that is that it's a great film can be a little bit like powder, where the you know it's somebody's touching you and you're getting to experience what they've experienced, and that's the, what this the feels Victor like. Salva movie powder. Yes, that's right. <laughs> okay, which has been referenced multiple times on this podcast, <laughs> more than it deserves. So this film is a little like powder, and that I feel like I'm experiencing <laughs> a feeling of what it would be like to have this particular type of relationship with a father who's a bit of an absentee a bit of a um clearly suffering from some some pretty intense depression and uh, and and has a lot of other baggage to bring to the relationship Mm -hmm. and to be on vacation with this individual trying to reconnect and and spend time when you know that time is limited and i think it does a really great job of being really experiential in that way yeah and i didn't realize i had a a friend of mine really more of an acquaintance than a friend but still i'll name drop all the same uh celia ralston hall is that right she's in it as the adult version of the little girl character she is and i love her she's brilliant she we programmed one of her films and uh, called mom Mm -hmm. am i right yep and i she's great she's she wanted to come to the festival and wasn't able to but i'm gonna hit her up again she's just she's just lovely she's a great person and she does a lot of experimental dance work and the dance sequences in this thing are worth watching this film alone Mm -hmm. they're amazing i think that was my the standout best part the strobe light sequences yeah Yeah. and there's just some other choreography that she clearly has her hands on because i'm fairly familiar with her with her work I think she's done a good bit of he, he's sort he's a bit of a dancer in this right in a certain way yeah. as a dad dancer and uh, I think that was a that certainly had her influence I love those sequences this is a film worth watching 
it's though not going to hit my top 10 list. Spoiler alert. Well, spoiler alert, it's near the top of mine. Yeah. So we'll we'll talk about it more when we reveal our top 10s in a future installment on another episode. Yeah, I, I recommend this film. It just didn't, I think I had really high expectations that it didn't meet, and that's okay. But it's still one of the, if, if I had a top 20 list, it's there. Fair enough. So I did watch that, and then I put in the background, here, here's the other thing I watched, I put in the background while I was working on syllabi. Sick. Because it was that time of the year for both of us. Yep. So I was working on my spring syllabi, and I was like, I need to put some bullshit on in the background that I won't call my attention, and the holidays are over, so I can't really do a seasonal film because that would just be weird. I'm going to put on this thing called I Want You Back. Are you familiar uh, with this? It's a rom-com with Jenny Slate Yes, and on I love Amazon. Jenny Slate. That's right. I was like, Jenny Slate, this will yeah. be fun and funny. I haven't seen this one. It is miserable. Uh-oh. It is fucking terrible. And it brings me, this is, yes, this is a Netflix title, and it brings me to this point. Fuck you, Netflix. Amazon. There's, I'm sorry. Fuck you, Amazon. <laughs> you know what? Fuck both of them, because it's that, how, how could I tell the difference? All of their original content is just absolute shit. Now, I'm not suggesting they don't go around and buy great films. Uh-huh. I'm saying that the vast majority of the stuff that has their production budget, their money, their little fingerprints on it is just truly terrible. Yeah, majority is a strong okay. word. They, I mean, look. Can I leave the episodic out of it? And will you agree? No, I think uh, the majority of whatever. their episodic content is is worse than the majority oh, of their film it? content. I don't know. But I, don't I, watch I, don't, I don't. I don't fuck with TV very much. So yeah, um, I hear you. But like, you know, I, I majority. I would say the majority of it is mediocre, not terrible. <laughs> mediocre is kind of you, but that makes sense. So let me just ask you this. What is the name of that program where you put in, like, I need to write a cover letter to this person, and then it spits it back out at you that everybody's talking about? Oh, yeah, the the AI thing. So yeah. do, do they even need script writers anymore? Because this is definitely, you could have come up with a better film if you threw this into that particular app. There's no way around it. You just said, I've got four characters, and it's a mishmash romantic uh-huh you know, mash up what there's a breakup that it leads with what happens. You get a better script. Jenny Slate and Charlie day are charming performers. Like they can't do anything to elevate that, that screenplay. Jenny Slate's fine in it because she's Jenny Slate. Uh It's really not much of a different character, but if anything, it's like Jennifer, it's like Jenny Slate light. Hmm. I just, this thing is pointless. It wasn't even worth having on in the background. It's stupid, and I really dislike it, and it makes me angry because it's miserable. And, well, uh, it has a, a sizable budget, obviously. Yeah. And uh, the other young woman who's in it, I like a lot, who was in Cajillionaire. Oh, I didn't know. Like, it's not Evan Rachel Wood. No, 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 no. The other young woman, Gina who, Rodriguez. I think so. Yeah. Oh, okay. I didn't know she's. She was she's in it. I think that's her. I think she's in it. Uh huh. Maybe I'm mixing her up with somebody else. I mean, I haven't I'll seen I'll take this a look, so. and we'll correct if not. But she's yeah. she's wonderful. She's great in it. The acting is not the issue here. Yeah. It's just it's everything else, and it's of course shot. It's shot like a modern day soap opera, in my opinion. It just mm-hmm. looks like a movie. That's too bad. Anyway, I, I'm just angry because we can do better as a industry, as a human race. But why would we when people are going to do what I did and click on it and watch it? So I, need, r- I need to stop. Hate watching. That's what. That's why Emily in Paris has been on the. I wasn't even hate watching. Years. I really was like, this probably isn't great, but I'll throw it on the background and maybe there'll be something redeeming about it. I've done this before, yep. and occasionally there'll be at least a scene I can recollect that I like, but nothing, nothing, nothing. Hmm. So. St- Stop Amazon and stop Netflix. Gross. Anyway, what have you been watching? Well, I've got two things I want to mention. I had a third, but I'm going to save it for our top 10 segment a little later. 
Um, but um, the first one I want to mention is a classic film that I've caught up with. And this one's kind of underseen and under-discussed from okay. 1956. It's a movie called Friendly Persuasion. Uh, the winner of the Palm d'Or at that year's Cannes Film Festival. Now, Friendly Persuasion is directed by William Wyler, the director of among many other classic movies, The Best Years of Our Lives, Roman Holiday, and Ben-Hur, uh, which he would make uh, just a couple of years after this one. It stars Gary Cooper and Dorothy McGuire. Now, uh, they are two Quakers. They are Quaker, uh, the, the leaders of a Quaker family living in 1862, I want to say Indiana or Ohio or something like that. And the thing about their particular branch of religion is that the Quakers have pledged to live completely as pacifists. Well, in 1862, guess what's happening in the United States, the uh, country is at war, it's civil war, in fact, and the Confederates are encroaching on their uh, territory, on where they live. Right. So over the course of this lovely movie, which is uh, not only like a, a very sweet and kind of homey and familiar uh, slice of life story. Uh, over the course of this movie, the Confederates draw nearer and nearer, and our family of Quakers, including a very young Anthony Perkins, pre-Psycho, um, their faith and their convictions are put to the test because – um, it's easy to say that you're not going to pick up arms uh, against your fellow man under any circumstances, but when your uh, family, your home, your livelihood, your neighbors are directly threatened, um, that is um, – well, a different story, isn't it? Uh, this is in the line of Gary Cooper's late career roles where he, you know, he transformed from this sort of square jaw to every man uh, into this more ruminative character who is looking back on a lifetime of violence with some regret. He plays that kind of character in a, a Western a couple of years ago called Man of the West from, uh, I think, Anthony Mann, that I think is a really wonderful movie, too. I loved Friendly Persuasion. It, it has become one of my friend, my favorite William Wyler movies. And William Wyler is not a director who is, like, in vogue at the moment amongst, you know, the film sure. trendsetters as one of the great classic filmmakers. In fact, it, he might be a filmmaker whose name casual moviegoers may only be familiar with in passing, but... I've been doing a little bit of a deep dive on his work, and I've really loved what I have seen, and this film is one of my favorites of his so far. So, Friendly Persuasion, an off-the-beaten-path and perhaps not frequently recommended uh, film, but but a strong recommendation from me. Another strong recommendation from me um, of a completely different type is the first film I saw in cinemas in the year 2023, Megan, starring a oh, killer yeah. robot doll. Um, and Megan is a blast. Can I interject? Yes. That tra I haven't seen it, uh -huh. but the trailer is amazing yes. and has my girl Tay-Tay, has uh -huh. a little song by Taylor Swift, which is brilliant because it's a it completely takes that song and turns it on its head in regards to its meaning, and it's really fun with that song. Well, Megan, so I'm excited about this. Megan is an outright horror comedy. It's not yeah. marketed as a comedy, but it's far more. Comedic. You don't think so? The little I mean, dance it's, scene it's marketed as campy. Yeah. Okay. But that's fair. It leans into the comedy I more gotcha. fully, I think, than. 
um, than people expect. It's written by the lady who wrote Malignant, so yeah. you know you're in for a weird fucking ride. And the director made, uh, he's a New Zealander named Gerald uh, Gerard Johnstone. He made a film uh, about eight years ago called Housebound that's kind okay. of a spooky haunted house horror comedy that is really delightful. Yeah. So the thing about Megan is it, it's kind of tonally more similar than not to that New Zealand brand of of dark comedy sure. horror that we've seen manifest from, you know, not only Peter Jackson classically, but like Taika Waititi and the What We Do in the Shadows thing. It it it's totally pretty similar to that. It is a ball though. The 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 robot creation uh of Megan is really unnerving and funny. Um the movie has a lot of really great gags and yeah. Allison Williams uh, is the lead here and she's fantastic. Um, it's not, it didn't reinvent the wheel. It's not hugely surprising, but if you want some good laughs in a kind of fucked up horror context, right. you could do far worse. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So kind of a, a little delight to start mainstream movie releasing uh, in 2023 with. And it seems like audiences are responding to it too, because it's actually become quite a big hit in one weekend of release as of this recording. So if you're on the fence about Megan, uh, but you like to laugh and you don't mind yeah. laughing at the expense of, of PG 13 violence, it's not like a gory uh, time at the movies or anything, but if you don't like, if you don't mind it, uh, check it out because it is so much fun. Big I, recommend from that. Good. I have a prediction that this is going to be a bit of a slow burn in the in the theaters that we're going to, especially with the reviews coming out. Yeah. Um, if it's you know if what you're saying is true, I believe you. Then I think we'll see the stick around for a while. Maybe I think this so. is something we plug in at the cinema as a second run. It it, it seems like something people might go back to as well. Right? And you know, were we to do that to have like a a, a Megan dance off competition totally. to do you know the TikTok dances that the the yeah. robot doll does. Would be a lot of fun, uh, you know. I, I I wish she did more of that. It's it's really kind of a minor part of the movie. Yeah, that's, it's a major part of the trailer. It's, so it's appropriately kinda... emphasized yeah. in in the trailer, I think. But um, if you go into it expecting it to be wall to wall like that, I think you'll be a little disappointed. It is like malignant, kind of a slow burn into an insane third act. Yeah, um, cool. But a lot of fun, a lot of fun. So that's what I've been watching. Well, thank you so much for listening to the Side Talks podcast. We're your own personal cinematic Harrison Ford and Sean Young. Oh, what those guys do? They're not friends. No, they're kind of friends. This one's a, this so. one's a little friendlier. It's, you know, Deckard and uh, Deckard and um, what's the character's name in Blade Runner? Shit. Sean Young's character. Sean Young's <laughs> character in Blade Runner. Look it up yourself. Yeah, look it up yourself. We don't do that for you. Uh, I mean, Sean Young, you know, she's got some she, of everybody. But. She's combative with everybody, apparently. Yeah, but, but rightly so. And there's actually a great You Must Remember This uh-huh. that focuses on Sean Young and why she had such such issues. But She got uh, a raw deal. To a, certain, to a certain degree, even though I think she's leaned a little Trump, which uh, I know, yeah. Yeah, come on, Anyway, we're not, done with, with, we're not done with Sean Young yet uh, on the outros, but I'll go ahead and tell you right now that when she was in Blade Runner uh-huh. with Harrison Ford. Her most iconic performance, in my opinion. Okay. Great one. Okay. Uh, and the scene in which the character's trying to leave the apartment and Deckard kind of grabs her, I think, or blocks her from leaving yep. the apartment. Yep. 
apparently Harrison Ford got over enthusiastic. No surprise there. That dude just reads to me like I get over enthusiastic about shit. Anyway, when he when he did that, he hit her kind of hard, and apparently she reacted, and her re- they left her reaction in, which was actually a real reaction to kind of being shoulder checked or what have you. And in order to cheer her up, he saw that happen. In order to cheer her up and get her mind off of it, he mooned her. <laughs> he broke character and mooned her. So I thought that was an appropriate. Outro. He was now, he was feeling the moment. He yeah. got a little too into it. Yeah. And uh, yeah, you, you, sometimes it happens, I guess. I think in this case, I'll definitely be Harrison Ford. Why? Because you just <laughs> want to ram your fucking shoulder into me? <laughs> yeah, and then moon you. Yeah. For sure. Not, yeah, that makes sense. Anyway, thanks to... You can be Sean Young anytime you want. Hey, no problem with that. I got a Catwoman suit. Ooh. Try it on. Thanks to Beltwell Studios. And uh, why don't you go online and check us out at SidewalkFest.com or on social media at Sidewalk Film. We're showing a bunch of fun stuff at the cinema, including our Black Lens Week starting, I believe, February 20th. So you'll want to visit our website, get tickets, check out the show times and the lineup for everything that we're doing at the cinema. We've got Valentine's Day programming coming up. We've got a weekend of Twilight Oh, yeah, every which is damn gonna, one of them. Which is going to make somebody happy somewhere, I assume. It makes, it's going to make me really happy. Well, Team I, Edward, bitch. I hope that you and the rest of your team have a great time watching Are you Team movies. Jacob or are you Team Edward? I'm Team Nobody. I'm actually Team Bella. <laughs> I'm Team Bella should move to the woods and leave both of these they gentlemen They already alone. live in the woods, Corey. Move Don't you know anything into the woods about then. forks? Um, well, forks are a wonderful Listen. utensil, but that's all I care about. <laughs> Let me give everybody a little piece of advice that doesn't relate to Twilight. If okay. you need to cheer somebody up this week, moon them. Be okay. like Harrison Ford and moon them. Email us and let us know how that goes for you. <laughs> I got arrested. <laughs> Thanks a lot. Podcast at SidewalkFest.com. Corey will bail you out. I won't. Bye. Batwell Studios Podcast Division. Your words, our expertise.